Let's read John 3, beginning in verse 10. We're backing up to verse 10, but our teaching actually starts in verse 11. Let's, let's read. Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, As you, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? What was Jesus talking about? Being born again, spiritual birth, rebirth. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word now. We ask that you would cause your Holy Spirit to teach us, to feed us with your manna from heaven, your divine-inspired Holy Scriptures. Bless this study now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is where we left off. Jesus has his encounter with this man, a Pharisee, a member of the Council of the Seventy, the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin, however you choose to say it. Nick at night. Nick comes to him at night. We talked about the various reasons why he may have done that. He might have been intimidated to come by day. Jesus might have been too busy. He might have been too busy. Nonetheless, this happens at night. And Jesus then goes on to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God and to see the kingdom of God is to become a participant in the kingdom of God a citizen of heaven a member of God's forever family and in order for that to happen you must be born again and Jesus Nicodemus doesn't get it and Jesus says you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things verse 11 most assuredly I say to you Jesus speaking we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. By the way, you may have noticed, going back to last week when we began with verse 1, this is the third time Jesus has used this emphasis regarding what he's telling or teaching Nicodemus. Most assuredly. In the King James Version, it's verily, verily. In the New International Version, it's very truly. What Jesus is relating here to Nicodemus is as important, serious, and non-negotiable as it gets. You must be born again. Most assuredly, verily, verily, very truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. Now some commentators, and I love it, was, uh, I forget his name now, one of the Calvary guys used to say, some taters are more common than others. Commentator. Some taters are more common than others. Anyway, I didn't make it up. I'm just passing it on. John Corson, that was who it was, 
Some taters are more common than others. Anyway, some commentators believe that the we here refers to Jesus and his disciples. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. I disagree. First of all, the disciples were newly converted followers of Christ. But only someone from heaven could speak authoritatively on these matters. John 6:38 Jesus says I've come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. The way Jesus is speaking here, we speak what we know, testify what we have seen. It's called first person plural. Where else does God speak this way? Genesis 1:26 Then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and so forth who is the us and the our in Genesis 1 why is God speaking in the first person plural because all three members of the Trinity were there at creation the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit let us make man in our image and here Jesus says we speak what we know and testify what we have seen I believe that we here in John chapter 3 refers to the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit the only ones who could truly be witnesses of these things first John 5 6 this is he who came by water and blood this is the Apostle John the same one who wrote this gospel in his first epistle first John 5 6 this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not only by water but by water and blood remember Jesus told Nicodemus we saw it last week you must be born of the water and of the spirit And we talked about the fact that being born of the water refers to physical birth obviously if you've not been born into this world physically then you will not have the opportunity to be born again spiritually and I don't know about you, but I thank God many, many times for allowing me to be born into this world so that I could come to know him and become part of his forever family. Jesus also was born into this world of the Virgin Mary. So being very God, God in, in every way, yet being a man, he experienced physical birth as well by the water and blood and it is the spirit which bears witness because the spirit is truth for there are three that bear witness in heaven the father the word and it's a big W that means Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with God John chapter 1 the father the word Jesus and the Holy Spirit and these three are one they are the three witnesses and then he tells Nicodemus you do not receive our and by the way in my Bible I don't know about yours but even the word our is with a capital O why because it's deity it's speaking of deity Father Son Holy Spirit you do not receive our witness now inasmuch as Nicodemus seems to be seeking the truth would you agree he comes to Jesus by night he's asking questions He's honoring Jesus as master, rabbi, teacher. We know you come from God, otherwise you couldn't do these miracles that you're doing. 
And yet Jesus says to Nicodemus, you do not receive our witness. When Jesus says you here, I believe he's referring to the entire body of Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, because Nicodemus represented that group. And even though Nicodemus does become a believer, most of those people he was associated with did not. You do not receive our witness. The very men that would go on to illegally convict Jesus of crimes he did not commit and crucify him. I hate to say it, but I'm thinking of Donald Trump right now. Wayne Allen Root, he is a Messianic believer, a Jewish Christian, just wrote an article about all that. And he proclaimed that Donald Trump was probably the most persecuted person since Jesus Christ. And I've likened the people in Washington, D.C. unto Pharisees many times. They hold everybody else to standards that they themselves do not keep. And they project onto others the things that they themselves are guilty of. And since we know, biblically speaking, that the source of all that is Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. When you find somebody pointing the finger at you for what they've done, and they call good evil and evil good, and they call people who stand up for pro-life radical extremist terrorists then you can only come to one conclusion just like Jesus said to the Pharisees you are your father is the devil their father is the devil therefore you can take everything they say and do and turn it around it's the exact opposite okay I know some of you don't like to hear this stuff but I'm sorry as long as you come here, you're going to hear it. It's important to know and understand these things. How can you be effective in spiritual warfare if you don't know what your enemy looks like and what he's up to? God is pro-life. Satan is pro-death. The thief, John 10.10, comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Anybody who's trying to do those things is of the devil. It's not complicated, folks. It's not rocket science. You don't have to have a master's degree to recognize the work of the enemy. Okay? You just have to have your eyes open and your nose in the book. Okay? All right, we'll continue here. I'll try not to get too wound up. I did have two cups of coffee this morning, so I'm just, I'm warning you. I'm normally a one-cup guy. You probably can't believe that, but it's true. Yep, our witness, O, capital O, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, your people, the so-called leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel, do not receive our witness. Verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Even though Jesus is imparting spiritual truths to Nicodemus, they relate to man's existence here on earth. 
physical birth, the water, the new birth takes place here on earth. It has to take place here and now. There's no opportunity after this life. You can't die and then get saved. Okay? So, you're born into this world physically, and then God gives you the opportunity to be reborn spiritually. All of that takes place on this plane. Okay? And so Jesus says, if I speak to you of earthly things, we know that the parables of Christ, a thumbnail definition of a parable, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Heavenly meaning. He says, if you don't understand these earthly things, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The new birth takes place here on earth, and then we begin the process of preparing for heaven, for eternity, our eternal home in the new Jerusalem. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, or darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. The Old Testament saints, in case you didn't know this, did not go to heaven. They went to a place called Abraham's bosom. It was the peaceful, pleasant side of Hades, which many believe is actually in the earth's core. Now, there seem to be some exceptions to this, Enoch, Elijah, and Moses specifically. Let me read to you from Luke 16, beginning in verse 22. So it was that the beggar died, this guy's at the gates of this rich man, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. He dies. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, the rich man, gosh, the riches didn't do him much good once he left this world, did they? He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus, that was the name of this beggar, not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead or raised from the dead. Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So for those who may say, well, that's, that's not literal. There's not really literal flames in hell. Well, this guy certainly thought so. And he went there. So he's asking Abraham, send Lazarus over to give me a drink. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Many people ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, there is none good really. There is none righteous, no not one. We are all sinners. The only difference between a saint and a sinner is that the saint is forgiven and the sinner ain't. I think J. Vernon McGee said there's saints and ain'ts, okay? We're still sinners, but we're forgiven not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, but simply because we have accepted the, the grace, the mercy, the love, and the forgiveness of God. And anybody can do that. 
Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Exactly what I told you. We fight, we battle, we suffer in this life for 70 years, and then we go on to eternal glory. Now, in the afterlife, Lazarus is comforted, the rich man is tormented, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So the Old Testament saints, before Christ, went to that place called Abraham's bosom. We will all be re reunited in God's eternal kingdom. Albert Barnes says this about this particular verse here. Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. No man therefore is qualified to speak of heavenly things. To speak of those things requires intimate acquaintance with them, demands that we have seen them, and as no one has ascended into heaven and returned, Elijah was caught up in a chariot of fire, but he, he, he did visit Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but that was after this happened, this meeting with Nicodemus, very brief. No one is qualified to speak of them but he who came down from heaven, but it means that no one had ascended and returned so as to be qualified to speak of these things. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now wait a minute, right now when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's right here on earth, terra firma. Why does he say the Son who is in heaven? Because of his connection with the Father. And by the way, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Even while here on earth, Jesus was also with the Father in heaven. John 17, 20 through 21, I do not pray. Jesus is praying this prayer. This is just prior to the Last Supper. I do not pray for these alone, his current disciples, but also for those who will believe. That would include you and I. Do you realize 2,000 years ago Jesus was praying for you? That's pretty awesome. Because he knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Also for those who will believe in me through their word, the word of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine, as it talks about in the book of Acts. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be one with us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So when Jesus talks about to Nicodemus about the Son of Man who is in heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven, Yes, he was there with the Father even in heaven, even as he was here on earth. In verse 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is speaking of the bronze serpent, which represented sin, which saved the people from a deadly snake bite. Numbers 21, beginning in verse 5. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. God was blessing them with manna from heaven on a daily basis. And it really tasted good. It was like honey wafers. And they're complaining about it. This worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, you think? For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, oh, pray to the Lord Moses, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, that serpent was a symbol of the, when Jesus would be lifted up on the cross and we become the Savior of the world. Isn't that cool? Just like when Moses struck the rock the first time and the water came out, living water. The rock was Jesus. He would be stricken for us. But Moses blew it. He got mad. And the second time he struck the rock in the flesh and he ruined the typology. Jesus won't be stricken twice. He's only stricken once. He came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. To conquer the devil, the Antichrist, the evil rulers of this world will be defeated by the Lion of the tribe of Judah and we'll be right there with them. Are you looking forward to that? Of course, Jesus is speaking of his death on the cross, represented by that serpent that Moses held up for the healing of the people who'd been snake bit. And who is the snake? It's the devil, the serpent, the great dragon. People of this world are snake bit and they're dying. But if they will look to Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection, they will be healed and they will not die. So, I mean, Jesus is not backing down here with Nick. He's still pouring on the heavy-duty theology. Here we go, verse 15. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was the perfect, sinless Son of God. That's the only way he could be the sacrifice for our sins who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why do you think Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that very moment, your sin, my sin, the sins of every human being that's ever lived were placed upon him on that cross. Can you imagine? You know what your own sin feels like, right? That burden that God lifts off of you when you're born again. Jesus bore the burden of every human being that has ever lived or ever will live. No wonder he died of a, of a broken heart on the cross. A massive heart attack. Indicated by the flowing of water and blood as the soldier thrust the spear in his side. Most people crucified die of asphyxiation because they, 
can't breathe. Every time they take a breath, they have to raise themselves up, and eventually they're too weak to do it. That's why the soldiers broke the legs of the other two to hasten their death. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead because your sin killed him and my sin killed him. Okay? And your sin will kill you if you don't confess him before God and be cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. Ah, aren't you glad I didn't drink three cups of coffee? Okay. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do you become righteous? In Christ. There's no other way. You will never be righteous on your own. God graciously imparts His righteousness to you. The Bible says we're clothed in His robes of righteousness. That's the only way we can have relationship with God. Otherwise, He wouldn't be able to stand to look at us. We come before Him. We come before His throne of grace clothed in those robes of righteousness that Christ gives to us. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, John 3, 15. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Contrary to what many people think or believe, it has never been God's will for men or women to perish. He created us to live forever in a love relationship with Him. Genesis 2.16 The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Why would God warn Adam? Because He didn't want Adam to die. But, God gave man a free will, like he has a free will. That's part of how we're created in his image. We are not robots, we're not puppets, we're not cyborgs, we're not transhumanists. God created us in his image, we have a free will, and in order for that free will to function properly, it had to be tested, and man failed the test. But God warned Adam, because he didn't want Adam to die. If Adam and Eve would have only eaten from the tree of life. Let me read this next section, Genesis 2, 8 and 9, which is actually the previous section. The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Adam and Eve would have only eaten from the tree of life and the other authorized trees and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have lived forever with God in paradise as he intended. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise as some count slackness or slowness. And this is Peter's talking about why has it been 2,000, well, it wasn't 2,000 years then, but he was predicting and prophesying that people would be mocking, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he? You keep telling us Jesus is coming back. Where is he? But God is long-suffering toward us, or patient, not willing that any should perish, 
let's be honest, as human beings, in our weaknesses, in our sins, we judge some people as more valuable than others. Guess who doesn't? God. He's not willing that any should perish. Anyone and everyone is worthy of salvation. That's why Jesus died on the cross. But all, that all should come to repentance. To turn from their sins and turn and follow after him. And folks, verse 16, here's the biggie. The classic, perhaps the most important verse in all of Scripture. The only verse we need in order to be saved and set free from sin. You want to be a witness for Christ? Memorize this verse. Most of you probably already have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as you've probably surmised, the Greek word here for love is agape, or a form of agape, agapesin, agapesin, agape, God's unconditional, sacrificial love. God so unconditionally and sacrificially loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world, of course, means the totality of of humanity first and foremost but guess what it also means the whole of God's creation for all those who are worried about the environment the animal kingdom the PETA folks the Greenpeace the the Green New Deal and blah 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 what they don't realize is that the answer is Jesus Christ it's not all their craziness in fact most of what they do again just like I said, it's the opposite result. They are destroying massive forests in order to put up these wind turbines. And they're destroying sea life by putting wind turbines in the ocean. All in the name of the environment. You see, without God, people are stupid. You've heard me say it time and time again. Sin makes you stupid. I don't care how smart you are how high your IQ is without God you are stupid and you will do stupid things thinking you're smart Whew. anybody slip me an espresso <laughs> folks first and foremost yes the world means the totality of humanity God so loved the world, everybody in it. But it also means the whole of God's creation. Even as all of God's creation fell under the curse through Adam. Remember what God told Adam? Now you're going to have to work for a living. You're going to have to till the ground. You're going to have to farm. And the ground is going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Apparently there weren't any thorns or thistles before the fall. Try saying that. That's not that easy. There weren't any thorns or thistles before the fall kind of a tongue twister for the creation was subjected to listen to this futility remember Noah's flood that changed the entire planet the topography of the planet everything about this planet the oceans the rivers the the archaeological evidence of the flood is everywhere do you know that 
the fossil record and so forth, the whole of creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope of redemption, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Remember Jesus talked about in the last days as it gets closer and closer to the end, to hit the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the second coming. It would be like a woman in labor. This entire creation is laboring. Waiting for that full redemption that's coming. God so loved the world, all of his creation, but first and foremost, you and me. The crown of creation, humanity created in God's image. He gave his only begotten son. Our God, our creator, our heavenly father made the ultimate sacrifice in order to redeem us, to restore us to his original plan, to pay our ransom. We were held in bondage, held captive, imprisoned, the devil holding our chains as we are imprisoned by our own sins. He made the ultimate sacrifice in order to redeem us, to restore us to his original plan. He gave his only son to die in our place. That whoever, again I mentioned this already, anyone and everyone regardless of ethnicity, nationality, socioeconomic status, gender, Another perversion, the Apostle Paul wrote that in Christ there is neither male nor female. But he didn't mean biologically, folks. He meant spiritually. We're all equal in Christ. And so the devil perverts that and tries to say there's, there's no gender or there's 128 genders. Have you gotten your gender blender yet? $39.95 at Walmart. Regardless of gender, regardless of age, young, old, in between, man, woman, boy, girl. And that creates a problem for people who identify outside of those boundaries. Man, you could get into some deep stuff with that. Jesus didn't die for furries. If you know what furries are, they're people who are identifying now as animals and wear animal costumes and so forth. Do you see the, mil the million and one ways that the devil is trying to destroy and pervert the creation of God? He's the destroyer and he has human counterparts that are working with him to destroy the human race and this whole transgender thing, LGBTQIA2 plus A, but... Boy, I miss the good old days. Man, woman, boy, girl. Him, her, he, she. No, she. Or whatever else they use. There's so many weird words out there now. Actually, I'm going to take it back. Yes, he did die for the furries too. The whole reason we need him is because everybody's all screwed up. Okay? 
But to come to him, you have to recognize that you're screwed up and you have to want to get right with God according to his rules, his regulations, his game plan. Salvation is a free gift. But the Bible also says if you're a believer, if you've been born again, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so then, by repenting, by confessing your sin, by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, you no longer conform to the things of this world. You conform to His truth. And His truth says you're either a man or a woman. Period. That's it. And that's really unpopular to say, folks. I'll probably get knocked off of YouTube again. Okay. I need to get little badges for all the times. I've been knocked off of YouTube. I guess they're trying to tell me to knock it off. Okay. Folks, let's be honest. As much as we decry racism, misogyny, homophobia, stereotypes, etc., all of that is part of the fallen human condition. Only by the grace of God can we conquer and overcome these innate sinful attitudes of a sinful heart. We don't overcome them by intimidating people, by forcing them into submission, forcing them to believe a certain way or think a certain way or speak a certain way, and that's what everybody's trying to do. That doesn't work. It has to be transformation from within. What Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about, being born again. Born again. Only God is perfect in love, agape, and absolutely accepting of anyone and everyone who comes to him. John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. He gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him Guess we're going to go a little over today. Sorry about that. Not just as a good man. There were those who will say, yeah, he was a good man. He was a good teacher, a prophet. That's not enough. You believe in him as the only begotten of the Father, just like he refers to himself here. The perfect sinless Son of God who died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price or the ransom for our sins. Yeshua HaMashiach. God is our salvation, our Messiah, our Savior, the Anointed One. There's a lot to believe in when it comes to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And guess what? You must believe in all of it. All of who Jesus is. All that He says He is. Not just what we want to believe or choose to believe. John 1.12, as many as received Him... To them he gave the, right, gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, Yeshua, Hamashiach, God is our salvation. And notice in verse 12, believing and receiving go hand in hand. If you really believe in who he is, who he says he is, if you believe in all that his name stands for, all that he's accomplished by dying on the cross, for rising from the dead, then you will receive him. There are those out there who might intellectually 
give credence to Jesus Christ, but they've not received him. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. By the way, in the context here, he's knocking at the door of the church. That's kind of scary. Hello? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, is there anybody in there that really hears me? That really believes in me in the church? That's scary. It's more true today than ever, I believe. But it can also apply to the individual. He's speaking here to the individual within the group. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's one of the most intimate things you could do in Jesus' day was to have a meal with someone. That's why he was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. I'll come in and dine with you. I'll have fellowship with you. I'll have intimacy with you if you open the door. There's the choice. There's the free will. Do you hear him knocking? Are you going to open the door or pretend he's not there? Like so many do. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines perish as to be lost eternally, to be sentenced to endless misery. To perish doesn't mean you cease to exist. It means you will never enter into the fullness of life through Jesus Christ, glory in paradise in, for all eternity. You will perish. You will be lost. You will be in eternal torment. That's what perish means. It doesn't mean cease to exist. A lot of people that are already there wish that it did. But it doesn't. Everyone that God has created in His image has an eternal spirit. You will either have life in Him forever or you will perish forever. It will be an eternal state of conscious torment. Okay? I'm sure most people don't understand that or they would definitely choose Jesus. It's a no-brainer. Do you want to perish or do you want to live forever with God? I mean, he gives you the choice. It's not like you don't have a choice. It's not like he's a big, mad, bad meanie saying, hey, everybody goes to hell. That's it. Nope. God so loved the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Should not perish, but have everlasting life to live forever with God in paradise. Just like he planned from the beginning. That's always been his plan. Man messed it up. God gave us a way back through his son, Jesus Christ. He says the same thing in these last two verses. He must really mean it. Let's stand. bow our heads for a moment as we go to the Lord in prayer. If you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. We'd like to pray for you right now. Bunches of them, bunches. Father, you see every hand. You know each person. You know what's better than we know ourselves. You know what's on each heart, what's on each mind. We lift up these requests to you now, Lord. Father, some may be struggling in their personal and interpersonal relationships, whether it be marriage, friendship, other family connections. 
Lord, uh, someone at the workplace or in the neighborhood, we lift all of these issues up to you wherever there is um, a, a, a breaking of relationship, uh, a hindering of, of relationship and fellowship that you would restore marriages, Lord. Lord, you're the, the God of miracles. Nothing is impossible with you. With you, all things are possible. If we will yield to you and submit our lives to you and allow you to do a work in us and through us, you can heal marriages, you can heal friendships, whatever the relationship is and whatever the damage is. We lift it up to you. We pray for comfort, for peace. Lord, it can be extremely painful to be in a broken relationship, which is not being in a relationship, really. Something has been torn from us. There's a ripping and a tearing that takes place when these re relationships are damaged or broken. We pray for comfort, for strength, for peace, for wisdom, for guidance, and for healing in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with economic issues. These are really challenging times we're living in, Father, but we're so thankful that you are our provider. Help us to keep your eyes on you, to look to you for wisdom and guidance as how to best manage our resources. And Lord, where those resources are lacking, we thank you that you promised to provide for us, to take care of us. We just ask that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, to walk by faith, not by sight. And we pray for supernatural wisdom. Lord, we talked about how without you we're just stupid. But in you we can be smart. We can have wisdom. We can have knowledge. We can have guidance. We ask you to guide us and direct us by your Holy Spirit to make the most of what we've been blessed with. However little or however much it might be that we would honor you and glorify you. Well, with the first fruits of our increase, Lord, help us to learn how to do that. Put you first, trusting you, walking by faith. Lord, we lift up health issues. Lord, we all experience them, young and old. Injuries, um, various afflictions, viruses, bacteria, uh, infectious diseases, COVID-19. Lord, the whole list, the whole array. We lift it all up to you. Cancer. Uh, lung disease, um, leukemia. Lord, there's so many afflictions that come upon us because we are in cursed mortal bodies. But we humbly beseech you for healing, for strength, for relief from pain, re healing of injuries as well as diseases and afflictions, Lord. And strengthen our faith. Help us to trust you, to hold on to you, to keep our eyes on you no matter what we go through in this life. As we talked about today, Lord, it's going to lead to eternal reward and eternal glory. We help us to hang in there and finish the race. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And we pray also for mental and emotional trauma. Lord, we hear so much talk today about PTSD, anxiety, stress. Lord, it's a real thing, but again, it's brought on by the evils of this world, by the powers of darkness, and Lord, by our not keeping our eyes on you, focused on you, being in the word, being in prayer. Help us to do the right things that lead to our mental and emotional health as well as our physical health. We pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one here today. Fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. You said you love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We ask you now for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon each one here today to fill us to overflowing, to strengthen us body, soul, and spirit. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.